People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM, and we have in the studio one of South Africa's rising literary stars, Ntikeng Mokhlele, yes. the author of six books, and the latest one, which is being released right now, is Illumination. A quick biography, Ntikeng was raised partially in the Pompeii and in Timbisa Township, he attended the University of Vatusrant, where he obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Dramatic Arts, Publishing Studies in African Literature. He's the author of five critically acclaimed novels, The Scent of Bliss in 2008, Small Things in 2013, Rusty Bell in 2014, Pleasure in 2016, and Michael Kay in 2018. Pleasure won the 2016 University of Johannesburg Main Prize for South African Writing in English, as well as the 2017 Kaiselo Daika Memorial Prize at the South African Literary Awards. Illumination is his sixth novel. And we are so lucky to have King join us here in the high studios to talk about his writing career, his rising star in the South African literary firmament, and his new book, Illumination. Welcome, so Welcome. Thank you very much, sir. I'm going to ask you the first question that all interviewees get asked here on People of the Book. Can you please introduce yourself in your own words and on your own terms? Uh, my name is Ntikeng Mushele. I am a South African. I am a child of the African continent, and I'm the citizen of the world. That's a very broad introduction, and it really comes across every single one of those components of your identity come across so so beautifully in your writing. Your writing career has so far produced six critically acclaimed novels. Can you tell us how you came to f- to fiction writing? I am a very introverted person by nature. I am very uncomfortable around big crowds. I am a very cerebral person. So all that energy and my sense of wonder and, you know, uh, about the intricacies, complications and contradictions of life um, make me really think uh, most times about how to make sense of existential crises or lifelong opportunities. And that is why my writing is sort of a therapeutic way of making sense of the world around me by surgical introspection and uh, investigations into the human species and the human condition and the universality and, 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 and profundity, if I were to put it that way, of the universe as a total whole. Listening to you talk about your writing from that perspective just makes me want to tell people to go out and to read one of your books because everything that you've said is so well reflected in your writing. Before we get to Illumination, I'd like to focus on your two most r- recent novels, Pleasure, which you, which, which you published in 2016, and Michael Kay in 2018, just to give our listeners a sense of the type of novels that you do write. Can you give us short summaries of what they can expect if they pick up those two books? They can expect um, quite uh, intense um, and surgical um, thinking and analyses around my themes of choice. In Pleasure, for instance, is an investigation of the not-so-common 
or readily available or readily understood or typical uh, explorations into the phenomenon of pleasure, uh, for one, in that it seeks to go way beyond the surface to problematize and actually uh, look at what the complementary and the divergent tropes are around uh, pleasure as experienced between human beings and as um, articulated in terms of intellectual terms of what uh, pleasure, uh, what constitute uh, uh, pleasure. Uh, in Michael K., um, when I was uh, at university, I read books like Waiting for the Barbarians, um, books like Dusklands and Kafka and Hermulish, uh, those kinds of writers, uh, Dostoevsky and what have you. And I wanted to one day to be able to sort of do a personal interpretation of texts that were close to my heart. And uh, that happened to be Michael Kay many years later. And essentially, Michael Kay is a sequel to the J.M. Kutsia original, and uh, it takes off where J.M. Kutsia left off, and it finishes that story according to how I imagine it, how I perceive that story, how I would have wanted the story to be finished, as it were. Did you get any feedback from J.M. Kutsia? No, no, no. Um, it was never my intention to get any feedback. My focus was to really write a competent novel. Um, quite daunting given the stature of the writer and the stature of the book itself because it's a very decorated book. It's a book that even today generates a lot of very intense, very contradictory, very undecided, very contested uh, um, literary analysis, philosophical analysis on, 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 on multiple continents for that matter. So it was, for me, the focus was to write a really competent book and I hope and imagine that I have done my best in achieving that objective. We are in conversation with a rising star in South African literary world, Ntikeng Moshlele, we will be back with more illuminating conversations straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We have in the studio Ntikeng Moshlele. We're discussing a number of different topics around his writing and his books. His latest book, which is just released, is called Illumination, and it's published by Picador Africa. Let's let's bring the focus to the book Illumination. Let's look at your new novel. The main character, Bantu Bonke, is a musician. And in the book, you tell his story. Can you introduce us to this very powerful narrator and just show us a little bit of a springboard what, where the story takes off and a little bit of what happens. Sure, I'd love to do that. Bantu Bonke is a microcosm and a reflective um, prism through which I explore themes of contemporary South Africa, themes of art, themes of masculinity, themes of love, for instance, between uh, people. Um, Things, uh, themes of or degeneration in a personality, really, 
Um, and the story essentially, the backbone of the story, it's a love story, but it's a story about a very accomplished musician who through life experiences finds a crisis of identity um, and tries his best to maintain uh, moral, personal, social, artistic, uh, as well as creative equilibrium uh, while battling the the, the uh, surge of those contradictions within himself as a person uh, primarily, but uh, in his social context, being South Africa for that matter. The book is a very intense book. As I speak to you before we started the interview, you have the power to subject your reader to a very, very intense reading experience. And I think that is a great power that all authors wish that they could have. And the themes that you deal with are so big and they're so central to to culture and to life. Um, not only in South Africa. It, the, this novel is universal as well. I'd like to focus on some of the main themes because you really have thought them through and you've distilled ideas into such powerful paragraphs that they as polished as a diamond. I want to read a few sentences or paragraphs to you and just get your response from them. You wrote these. They caused me a lot of introspection. And I'd like to know what what what, what went through your mind when you polished these sentences. The first one is on page 44. I console myself that art is not only a gift, but also an attempt at self-medication. I... To be honest and to answer you in a much more inclusive manner, I am in a totally different world when I create my fiction. So it's never, it's a contradiction in terms because there are multiple levels of being in that I need to be conscious of what I'm doing intellectually, emotionally, from a spiritual balance point of view. But when I am really writing, I get very lost in the work that I'm doing. So it's only when I work post-edit that I really become fully aware of the full spectrum range and as well as the implications of what I have created. So I cannot separate to say as I was writing this section, I was thinking of that and what have you, because it's a very out-of-body experience most times. You can't write about a musician like you've done in this book without having a deep passion for music yourself. Your ability to put across a musician's passion and then frustration when he can't fully play his musical instrument because he was, he, he, he his lips were cut in an, in a, his mouth was cut in an, in, a, in an accident, in a, in a domestic explosion at home. You, you have to be a musician yourself to, to feel like this. Um, yes, I think that is a very accurate uh, uh, interpretation there because I always say, and I think I've said elsewhere in my interviews, that had I not been a novelist or a writer, um, I would certainly have been a musician. So it's a very personal subject for me, the idea of music, 
But now the difficulty comes in that I am not a trained musician. So the uh, training in dramatic arts, in performance and transformation, transfiguration, and the whole phenomenon of um, representation of counter-realities came in handy in me actually assuming the role of a musician, both as a novelist, but also to equip my narrator to think, feel, uh, perceive, as well as exist as a practicing, working uh, musician. Um, and there, there is uh, dualities and, 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 and overlays and overlaps in that. Uh, not only do I have to think about the character as a musician and to equip him with those instincts, I need to be aware of those inst- what those instincts are as I'm writing. How much research did you do to work out the mindset of a musician? And how did you do that research? Um, you know, it would surprise you very much that I didn't do any research at all because of just my natural um, appreciation of music as an art form. So it the b- most important thing really was the spiritual luminance that results from the immediacy of music uh, from a sensory stimuli point of view, but not only that, but as a cultural force uh, between uh, uh, in a social context. The book is not a political book. Politics does come into the story. There is a part of the main character's life when he was... He says to a small degree involved in the struggle. You also do mention um, political issues that do dominate the headlines in South Africa: corruption and um, also the lack of uh, the the destruction of public trust. Uh, I want to read a small part where this becomes uh, a debate between the narrator and and a friend of his, Marcus. Who was, um, who, who was found guilty of corruption. Um, this is on page 90, 95 and 96. Marcus says, so you're judging me. And Bontobonke says, I'm not judging you. I'm questioning and judging myself. I'm asking myself what kind of company I keep if it includes people who steal from state coffers. One of the young people with a promising career in the public service took her own life. Did you know that? You are an accessory to murder, strictly speaking. An accessory to a suicide. Suicide, murder, same difference. The world is rotten, my friend. People are grabbing money by the world over. I don't know or care about other people, Marcus. I know you. And I'm talking to you. I think I better go. I understand you're annoyed. Maybe you should stay annoyed and stay gone. Think a little deeper about those crimes you've committed against the patriots of this country. But most of the money was recovered, paid back. You are missing the point. This is not a matter of arithmetic, Mr. Hurstman. I'm talking to you about the rapture of conscience. Why can't you understand the damage you have caused to innocent and law-abiding citizens? You lied under oath for six weeks straight. That knew nothing about, that you not, that you knew nothing about anything. 
lot of good people got hurt in the process. Young people caught in the glare of newspaper headlines and the necessary venom of prosecutors. Youths who no no one will ever trust because you made accomplices of them. You failed to lead by example. Instead, you taught those impressionable young minds that life permits reckless and dangerous shortcuts, that you can nurse unsavory relations. Still, cook the books, lie, then drive a hearse and complain you are being judged. What kind of sick remorse is that? You have put in words what a whole nation feels, and you've done it with such a powerful punch. You obviously do have feelings about this type of um, these type of events that have overtaken our country, and you've put it in the book, and it's very, very powerful. Uh, thank you uh, for that, sir. I'm humbled by it, but I do feel very, very strongly personally about um, moral lapses um, in this in the world in general, but in the society that I live in. And I think that that level of sensitivity and um, resistance to complacency is important in, in 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 life, but also in art. The next part of the political discussion on your book is a quote that, when I read it, it was like the clap inside a bell just resonating inside of me. And I had to sit and think about it for quite a while after I finished reading the paragraph. Um, I find it offensive, insulting, that some consider my music inferior to politics, even at their most diplomatic they're most vulnerable. Politicians suggest that politics is a higher form of existence, above art, which I find not only sad, but depraved. Once again, you hitting a nail on the head with this, with this, with mm. this writing. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I, from where I'm sitting, I think that it is very important to make informed, sensitive, balanced, and well thought through um, explorations of, you know, um, the various life forces in a society. And politics, uh, religion, spirituality, uh, art are some of those themes that um, actually uh, tessel for, 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 for attention, but that shape lives of individuals, of communities, of whole nations, um, in fact. And that is not to say that politics um, as a mode of being uh, is completely useless, but it is the how and the degree of application in um, what politics are able to do in lives of people. So one should not just take them at face value um, because they are upright, uh, very principled, and uh, um, very respected politicians like a Nelson Mandela, uh, for instance, uh, like a Mahatma Gandhi, with all his contradictions, um, you know, and populism and things like that, and the depravity that comes from the human defects um, through actually the the. the platform of politics. That's what I have an issue with. And art itself is not 
without its own shortcomings. But that is not the topic of discussion. We'll talk about that some other time. We're in conversation with Tikeng Moshlele, the author of six critically acclaimed novels, the latest one, Illumination. It will be mentioned across all media platforms in South Africa in the next few weeks because it is being released right now. We'll return with more illuminating conversations straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Next time you're in a bookshop and you see piles of the book Illumination, written by Ntikeng Mushlele, published by Picador Africa, take a closer look at the book. Pick it up, read the back. Allow yourself to be drawn into the intense writing, the intense ideas that Ntikeng has put into the book. And I want to ask you about that actual process. How do you write? Because your style is very introspective. As you said earlier on, you are introverted. It does come through in your writing. Your writing is based on observations of life. But, it, but every sentence is finely crafted, and I can feel that once it's been finely crafted, it's then been super finely tuned. And the result is writing that reflects a lot of thought and a lot of analysis. And you're putting that on the page to challenge us, the reader. You've said earlier on that when you write, you lose yourself. It's an out-of-body experience. But there's more than just the first draft. There's the the editings and then the the numerous drafts to to get this diamond polished. Well, I think... Thank you for, for, for that question. But I think it would surprise a lot of people um, that my books, as they are written, um, I am not a many-drafts writer. Most of what people read and what is in my books is actually first draft and the only draft that I do because when I am not in that zone of creativity uh, that I know, uh, I am ready to write. I don't write at all. I don't write things to put in the dustbin. I don't lose the work that I write. I simply do not write if I don't think that I am in a um, <coughs> creative um, environment to be able to give force to to my art. Um, so from that point of view is that the book, as the, it stands now, is first take. Um with minor edits, really, because I don't think that's the function of an editor, the writer must write the book properly, as the uh, the book is intended. So the editor comes in to clean up lapses in in uh, um, you know spelling errors and things like that, and grammatical lapses here and there. But the primary ninety eight point eight percent of that work must actually be borne by the writer. So when I am not inspired, I stay away from my computer. When I am, I go in there and write it properly. So the sentence, when it comes out, is because I have really thought about how it needs to be. It's a question of aesthetics rather than how do I go about this. I figure that out 
from an outline point of view. I never want to know what the word sequence would be or what the descriptions would be or what the metaphor is because then that for me would allude to me just photocopying ideas. There wouldn't be enough creative spontaneity in how things are. So it gets revealed to me when I actually sit down to write it. That begs, begs another question. When you sit down to write a book like Illumination, do you have a series of ideas that you want to put across? Do you have a t- th- in your mind an experience that you want the reader to tap into? Or does the creative process just overtake your mind and become a flurry of activity with fingers pushing buttons on the keyboard resulting in a novel? Um, let's think about it as ocean waves. Um, ocean waves, the wave that ends up on shore, really, it's a multiplicity of half waves, a promise of a full wave, waves that die prematurely before they could form into other waves. is very much like that, where there is no definition or a line between thoughts or themes or metaphors or really um, personalities or characters for that matter. Um, so it's that tightly woven in how I think about it. So each thought pushes the next forward for me, pretty much like how an ocean functions. And uh, to further maybe illuminate that answer, it, the sea is very different at high and low tide. And I think that's how my spirit and my cerebral... Um, Nature functions. You, you are a writer, but most writers read. What do you read? Um, I read everything that I subjectively consider to be great literature. I read the classics. I read poetry. I read African fiction. I read Kafka. I read Dostoevsky. I read Albert Camus. I read Shoyinka. I read Philip Roth, I read Toni Morrison, I read Saul Bellow. So great literature in all its diversity across cultures and across time and across languages. I I make it a point that I read it uh, because I don't think that you can be a fully formed or a fully sensitized writer if you don't read other writers or if you are not exposed to the peculiarities of context or the nuances that happen in other cultures and in other civilizations. So for that reason, um, I read South African literature, obviously, because charity begins at home, but I also make sure that I read Shakespeare, I read screenplays, I read plays, anything that would form a framework of a literary output. Um, I read Brecht, I read Tennessee Williams, I read Fugard, you know, the widest possible uh, range and, 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 and diversity, uh, if you like, uh, of literary output. I would make sure that I get, I read Jonathan Franzen, for instance, um, you know, um, so it's just endless list of people that I, I, I do read. Uh, I read J.M. Kutzier, for instance. Um, and part of reading, in fact, 
It's not only self-education or reading for pleasure only. It's a process of rediscovery. I read Nabokov, for instance. Um, so the level at which uh, one uh, uh, is supposed to read as a practicing artist is far more demanding, I think, and respectfully for an average reader because you need to be very conversant with these things, but not only conversant, but to be able to understand where you fit in into the world picture of literary practitioners because you don't want to be a copycat that is uninformed. You don't want to be a copycat, period. But it's very, very important and advisable to know the world around you, but not only literature per se, because I don't look at art in exclusive terms. So there is a complementary, integrated um, understanding or approach that I have to art. The readers I read are as important as musicians I listen to, the kind of visual arts I appreciate, for instance, and looking at archives in terms of heritage of different nations around the world, because I think by doing that, having a complementary and um, integrated view of art and of life and of existence is a far more enriching experience rather than if one limits your world to books because then becomes a one-track existence and it robs um, the writing process of the sensitivities required to be able to build worlds that are completing themselves. Last question. Your previous novel, Michael K., came out in 2018, which is just last year, and already... We're only in the month of March now, February, March, and your next novel, Illumination, has already been published. So it's quite a, quite a quick pace to publish serious, very literary, uh, a very literary, a very literary book. Are you working on something at the moment? Mentally, I am. Um, the reason for that, not to be pessimistic, I'm not pessimistic in any sense, but I think life is too important to waste. And the worst thing that you can do is to waste gifts that the Creator has bestowed on you. Because I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. So in my writing, I make sure that if it's the last project that I do, it should represent me very well when I'm in the cemetery. I should never have the urge to be resurrected, God forbid, to come and correct or defend an artwork that I would have created because I would know, even before my maker, that I have put the last possible human effort in in, 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 in that work. So the pace um, might surprise some people, but I don't think that creative talent, or any talent for that matter, given that our lives in, on earth are very finite, is a thing to be toyed with, because it could have been given to someone else. So it's a big and humbling um, thing or gesture that it has been given to me, and I'd have to be a fool or reckless to play with such a special gift because it's not a, a thing that everyone can do. It's not for anyone. 
So the fact that I had been bestowed with this gift, uh, I have no excuses not to use it to the ultimate way um, as it's humanly possible. We've just finished our conversation. The book is Illumination. The publisher, Picador Africa, and the author, Nitikeng Moshlele. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you for writing this book that has really given me, and I'm sure it will give many other readers, a very intense and a very powerful reading experience. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for the invitation to come speak to you and to your listeners.